I don't know if I have the stat right, but apparently um, I think only 14% of athletes at the Olympics actually manage to achieve personal best times. Welcome to today's show. My name is Holger and with me, fresh from the Olympics, is Emma Chilias. Welcome to the show, Emma. Hi, Holger. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now, Emma, and we have a special, special relationship with Emma because she used to live just up the road from us and we watched her grow up. And But what we didn't realize is how long her this, this whole um, swimming career has been. It started a long, long time ago, didn't it? Yeah, you probably saw the very first... Um, <laughs> foundations being laid on my swimming career back in the day at uh, Clue Senior Primary School you know um, it, it has been years and years in the making um, and probably started as maybe a, what looked like a hobby <laughs> or a fun pastime but um, it's definitely blossomed into an exciting career so it's been great and it's it's awesome to be here with you that you've seen the journey and yeah. how long it's been it has been long so how does it work at, at primary school is the I mean I was an athlete and obviously they were Mm. Um, national champs or provincial champs. Yeah, so our first, my kind of first exposure to competitive swimming was actually for KZN schools. Okay. So we, you know, you kind of work your way up up the ranks. You start at uh, Padsa, which is I think Pine Town and Districts. I'm not sure if it's still like that now, but um, started with sort of Padsa swimming, and then if you finish in the top five or so, you'd go through and represent. Um, uh, at Etiquini Champs okay. and then from there you would go through to KZN schools so making my first KZN schools team was kind of the the start of the competitive side of things and then we raced um, against all of the other provinces but all at a school age group level um, and then from there I decided that swimming was I really enjoyed the racing side of things and the competitive swimming and that's when I started with a private club but up until then it was all just at school just school and what yeah. sort of age was that um I think I was about 11 okay. or 12 yeah when so, you got to the national champs yeah when I started I think it was level two okay. so you have different levels from level zero to level three and then you have junior nationals and then you go on to senior nationals and it's all based on time so you have to qualify for each of those levels okay so it's not a team sport it's actually <laughs> I always <laughs> joke that I'm really glad to be in a sport where your time is your time on the board and no one can argue with that and it's quite nice so you can always benchmark yourself against your previous time and always know when you're improving and it's not up to anyone else to judge <laughs> yeah yeah okay and um let's jump right to to the to this year because that's the exciting part i think yeah. for, for everybody that was the highlight and for and I know you were gunning to get a place in the Olympics for, for the for the relay. For the relay, that was definitely my most attainable <laughs> spot, I think, on the team. Because you'd been to a few big events. Yeah. Before. Yeah, so I'm a freestyler. I'm a specialized in sprint freestyle, so 50 meter and 100 meter. And that's equivalent to the 100 meter. 
Sprint. Oh, I would say the 50 meter is maybe close to the 100 meter and then the 100 meter is maybe closer to a 400 meter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it is um, the glamorous. But it's the, it's the, it's the shortest of the, and the, you know, of the events. Yeah. And the fastest. And uh, it also means that you then swim relays for okay. your country. So the, I mean, they have a medley relay, which is all four strokes, yeah. but f- for most freestylers, um, you know, that you'll always be selected for relays. So the top four from every nation will go through and represent their country in a relay, usually. Um, so I thought that that was my best chance yeah. of qualifying for the Olympics. Um, and so I kind of put a lot of effort into my 100 meter. But um, to be fair, my 50 meter has always been my favorite and okay. probably my best. So event. is the relay 100 meters? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, but did you do all kinds of swimming before? Um, I did a lot of different strokes when I was younger, but as I got to about 15, 16, 17, I started focusing on freestyle and butterfly. So those are my two main okay. strokes. And uh, as, it, as that progressed, my breaststroke, which was already terrible, to be fair, <laughs> just progressively got worse. <laughs> so I'll never swim breaststroke now. You have to, yeah, it just won't happen. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we were sitting with your dad and we, we thought we could all, we could have all found some discipline to get to the Olympics. <laughs> your dad said he could have been a skater. <laughs> Yeah, you know, skating, rock climbing, surfing, those are all new yeah. Olympic sports. So yeah. maybe there'll be some new ones come Paris 2024. We can all <laughs> get behind. Yeah. Okay, so in, in April, we were all gunning for you to get into the into the relay team. And yeah. then the big thing happened. Yeah, and then on the final day, I uh, managed to swim a personal best time um, and qualify in the 50-meter freestyle. And... Um, yeah, it it was a goal of mine, definitely, but I think it did take a lot of people by surprise and probably me as well. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, I qualified in the morning in the heats, so it was sort of 9.30 in the morning on a Monday, and it was just very surreal. Um, I think it was also special because uh, we didn't have any spectators because of COVID mm. restrictions. So my family wasn't there. My husband wasn't there. It was just me, uh, my coach, um, some of my teammates, and then all the other swimmers and coaches. And the numbers were already restricted because of, you know, the gatherings um, mm. restrictions and not allowing a lot of people into an indoor facility at one time because of COVID. So the people who were there were by invitation only. Um, and I think at that level, by the time you get to senior nationals, you've put in a lot of hours in the pool. You know the sacrifice that it takes. You know, these are people that like really know the sport. It's their passion. It's it's their sport. It's yeah. their love. Um, and those were the people who were cheering us on. And so to hear them screaming and getting so excited <laughs> when I qualified still gives me goosebumps. Um, that was sort of even more special because this is a community that knows how much you've been through to get to where you are. Yeah. And they were so excited and, and supportive. It was it was really, really special. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, you've been at this for more than half your life. Eh? Yeah, yeah, I think more. it's 14 years. Yeah. yeah, it's unbelievable. So, 
So you got, and I mean, the fact that you swimming personal bests, bests at these events is, is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if I have this stat right, but apparently um, I think only 14% of athletes at the Olympics actually manage to achieve personal best times. Because of the environment and the pressures and the build-up, especially the mental game, yeah. I think, of, wow, we're at the Olympics. And sometimes that can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, we actually had a webinar that was organized for us by Sascock before we left. And we had a sports psychologist who was great. He walked us through the whole process um, and kind of just highlighted some of the mental challenges and anxieties that we might face and some coping mechanisms to help with that. Um, but personally, I've worked with a sports psychologist um, that I used to um, have meetings with regularly when I was swimming at Marty's mm. in Stellenbosch. And um, we picked up again when uh, COVID hit and then again um, when I knew qualifying was around the corner and I really needed some mental <laughs> guidance and preparation. And I think having that kind of mental training coupled with your sort of physical training, um, it really helped me and I managed to, yeah, managed to swim two personal bests. So yeah, But you're jumping awesome. the gun. We're talking about <laughs> April now. Oh, April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that was the if you were ever going to have to pull personal best out of the hat, that was where to, you that had to do it, it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, we were swimming in uh, Newlands um, in Port Elizabeth and that pool, it wasn't, I don't think it was a lot of swimmers first choice. I think we would have loved to race at Kings Park in Durban. Yeah. So in the build up, there was quite a lot of anxiety around that. Um, some people were really not happy that we were forced to race at a pool you know, other than Kings Park, because in previous years, every Olympic trials is always held at Kings Park oh, really? Pool in Durban. Yeah, it's definitely South Africa's, you know, number one pool. But because of COVID, it's unfortunately not been managed very well. And uh, so the heaters were a problem. There's been a leak that was fixed and now is a problem again. Uh, and yeah, so it's just ongoing issues yeah. with that pool, unfortunately. So... We were, yeah, we were kind of all just told a pool is a pool. This is your opportunity. You have to just make the most of it. Mm. Um, and so I tried not to let that distract me too much. And um, yeah, we did actually switch the format around at Newlands because the one side of the pool is quite shallow. And so for the 50 meter, you know, your dive and your start is very, very important. Mm. So we actually swam the 50 meter from the opposite side of the pool uh, so that we would still have the same depth as all the other swimmers who were swimming 100 meters or more. So that at least helped quite a bit. Um, that was, especially for the for the boys, it was a big concern okay. that they wouldn't be able to get that that depth on their dive. But it all worked out. So. Yeah, it worked out <laughs> probably better than you expected. <laughs> Definitely, um, yeah. If I remember correctly, so you guys qualified then for for your yeah for so your relay and and yes we qualified for the four by one hundred meter freestyle relay yeah um so there were four of us girls the top four from the individual swim 
uh, we were selected to time trial that relay. And I think on day three, we, or day four, we qualified. Um, but I mean, it's not a, I say qualified, but basically we achieved within the top 16 rankings at that time. Yeah. And the cutoff um, period for qualification was the end of May. So there was still, now this is mid-April, there was still quite a long time you know, mm. for other countries to come and sneak in there. And unfortunately, they did. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually, we we lost out on our top 16 ranking. Uh, once the European teams swam, we, we were knocked down <laughs> to about 18th, um, which was quite devastating, um, you know, especially because one of the girls on the team that was, you know, one of her only chances to come along with us. So I was very, I was feeling very blessed that I had qualified individually yeah. um, because looking at my initial plans to have tried to qualify in that relay, I wouldn't have yeah. gone to the Olympics at all. <laughs> yeah. And on that, in that particular race, you, you broke the South African record. In the 4x100 medley, I mean, freestyle relay we did. Yeah. You did, yeah. Yeah. We actually broke the African record. African record. Yeah. Wow. Which was so exciting. Okay. So even though we couldn't officially celebrate qualifying for the olympics you know a lot of the media kind of jumped the gun mm. and took it as a done deal uh we could celebrate the african record so okay. at least that was some Wonderful. sort of <laughs> history <laughs> <laughs> and your and your big race there that on at that tournament was was the 50 meter yeah the 50 meter freestyle where you don't normally win no i haven't i've never actually won a gold medal at uh national championships so I've been on the podium I think for the last oh maybe five or six years really? but it's never been gold <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very special one yeah yeah so that was there was a gold it was a win and it was a obviously a personal best in a yeah. South African record yes and then yeah. the pressure was off the relay yeah it was thank goodness and my race was on the last day of a six-day meet yeah. Um, so it was quite important for me to kind of keep that focus even after we qualified, you know, not yeah. officially, but qualified in the relay. Um, ev you know, everyone's excitement levels were super high, but I still had to then focus on my individual swim. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, luckily I managed to, to kind of hold that focus all the way to the last day because it was actually the same... Uh, format as the Olympics um, so luckily that trials in April kind of gave me a good window yeah. and a good idea into what the Olympics were going to look like yeah and then you qualified and and how did that feel oh it felt amazing uh, it was honestly surreal um, I think I watched the video probably 10 or more times afterwards <laughs> just to hear um, everyone cheering also it, it really sounded like there was a full crowd there and when I look at the video um, you know there were hardly any people in the stands <laughs> so I don't know if it was just sort of everything was I was sort of like hyper aware of all the sounds and the experience um, but I got straight out of the pool and called um, my family straight away called Troy my husband straight away um, you know, it was it was obviously a pity that they weren't there yeah. to see it. But luckily there was a live stream. 
yeah, and then obviously my coach, Karen, was there with me and we were celebrating and um, we had been staying all together in a bubble, a COVID bubble. So it was quite an intense week, you know, you really saw the emotions um, because all the swimmers were staying together. So we all had our meals together, we all were staying you know, in in the hotel uh, and no one else was there. It was reserved only for swimmers and management and coaches. So usually we all stay separately and, you know, once you're done at the pool, you get to go home to your own space and, you know, especially at at Kings Park, then I go home, you know, to Kloof. And this time around, obviously, we were all on the buses together, at meals together, in the room. So it was quite an intense week. Um, and then I qualified on the final day and flew home to Durban the next day. So it was actually, it was really awesome because I, I saw my family and I saw Troy the very next day. Yeah. And so we could kind of celebrate as if it was still so fresh. Whereas if I'd qualified on the first day, you know, then you're still there for a week and it just, yeah, it wouldn't have been quite the same. Um, so in, in that regard, it worked out really well. Uh, and I was also quite relieved to you know because I went through a a huge range of emotions after I qualified it was kind of like excitement and then I don't know it's almost like your your hormones are all over the place like your adrenaline is going you just it's I don't know I think I was very hyped up so to come home and kind of like decompress and be away from everybody and kind of just with my family was really cool and I took some time out of the pool a little break and then when I got back into the pool, it was like so surreal, you know, like <laughs> you're now training for the Olympics, you know, it took a while for that to sink in. Um, but yeah, all around, it was just an awesome experience. So once you started training for the Olympics, was that a different program then? Um, it was quite an intense program. It wasn't completely different training, but we definitely upped the intensity Mm. and um yeah probably some of the hardest training i've done (laughs) in my career (laughs) obviously still the same you know the same kind of oh how do i put it the same kind of sets but just the intensity was higher and the mileage was higher we added in an extra session per week and the gym work was we went quite a quite a bit heavier so it was the same movements but just at a heavier load okay um and recovery was quite important like i didn't really do anything else (laughs) 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 other than train and then sleep (laughs) um yeah but i actually i also started um having recovery sessions in an oxygen chamber which was quite interesting um, there's one in Stellenbosch. So when I was training in Stellenbosch, I used to go there. But it's basically like compressed oxygen. Um, it's called hyperbaric medium oxygen therapy. And you climb into a chamber, which is, I think, any um, claustrophobic person's nightmare. But you climb into a chamber and you basically wear a mask that pumps 100% oxygen into your body. And it kind of floods your muscles and aids with recovery. So I found that to be you know really helpful actually and I've never tried it before but leading up to Olympic trials I was going every week and then I continued with that leading up to the Olympics. And where did you train in Durban? I trained between Durban and Stellenbosch. Okay. Yeah so my coach is based in Stellenbosch and 
Um, so I did quite a lot of training there. But because I studied there, I'm very familiar with mm. it. But so the time wasn't, I mean, you didn't have that much time. No, we didn't have a lot of time. Um, so we kind of carried the training through from before Olympic trials and then just ramped it up mm. um, before coming down a little bit for taper, which is kind of like where you have a little bit more rest before you race, just to give your body some recovery. Yeah. Okay. And then tell us a little bit about the whole journey to, to Tokyo. Um, well, <laughs> you a mean in, in the, the few aeroplane, weeks? was it just? Well, actually before that, oh. um, we left at a very turbulent time. <laughs> we actually left the week of the riots oh, and no. the looting in Durban or in KZN. Yeah. Um, so I think the worst day was on Monday yes. and we left on the Thursday. Okay. So all the gyms were closed, pools were closed, roads were closed. Um, we couldn't get our kit. We were training at Kloof Senior Primary School's small 25-meter pool, which was probably comes up to my knees. That's how shallow the water is. <laughs> <laughs> and all the shops were closed, so even getting food was difficult. I actually sent a shopping list um, to one of my teammates in Pretoria and she managed to get some of the items, you know, like snacks and food and some toiletries and medication things that I wanted to pack with me, but I couldn't get in Durban. Um, and she managed to get them in Pretoria and brought them to the Joburg airport for me. And I packed them in my suitcase <laughs> there. <laughs> it was it was the most insane week, it you was. know, and, and it was... By the time we actually got on the plane, I almost felt like crying with relief because yeah. it, it, it had just been um, trying to focus on the Olympics, trying to really have the best preparation we could before we left. And then it just felt like every curveball <laughs> was thrown <laughs> our way. Did you drive up to the airport or could you fly? No, we did fly from Durban. Okay. Um, but at one stage they were talking about, I mean, getting a police escort for us to get to the airport mm. because... We really drove through, I think, some of the worst parts. Yes. Luckily, by Thursday, it had calmed down a little bit. But, yeah. I mean, when we were driving down um, past some of those warehouses on the N3, I think it is, um, they were still on fire. Still burning, yeah. yeah. There was smoke in the air. There was l looted, like, litter and rubbish everywhere. It was like a war zone. And we were driving off to the Olympics. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> and it was very crazy times. But... Yeah, like I said, once once we got to Joburg Airport, met up with the rest of the team, we were all in our kit. You could leave all that behind. Yeah, we yeah. kind of felt like, okay, we're ready. Like, this yeah. is the journey. Um, and yeah, we flew Ethiopian Airlines. So it was quite funny because I kept joking with everybody, like, I can't wait to get to Ethiopia because they'll have food. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in Durban, all the shops were closed and the shelves were completely empty. Um so yeah, it was a very crazy ride. But once we, once we got to the airport in Joburg, I felt like okay, this is really happening now. You know, yeah. this is time to go, and it was quite a long journey. Um, I think we were traveling for over twenty-four hours before we arrived at the village. And when we landed in Tokyo, there's quite a long procedure. You know, you have to arrive there. Um, you do a COVID test on arrival. 
then you collect your baggage you go through immigration it's obviously all fast-tracked because you have your yeah. olympic id and that's kind but, of your visa but was it a commercial flight yeah we traveled on um ethiopian so normal, airlines normal. yeah normal and it was quite full actually yeah. so it's not like it was really a, a strict bubble all the way oh. through um yeah, but once we arrived, we were kind of separated from all other commercial passengers and we we were sort of fast-tracked through the airport. Um, I think they actually had a special wing f- or a terminal of the airport just for the Olympic p- people arriving because there was no one else there. So that was great. Um, and then we had to get our accreditation. Once we'd done our COVID tests, we had to then wait for those results so we spent quite a lot of time just waiting in the airport and then we got into the bus and then went to the village and got all settled in and checked in. And I think we arrived at about three in the morning. Oh. So it was quite <laughs> a long journey. Um, but the first thing we did was go to the dining hall. <laughs> and eat some food. Yeah, we were all so excited and hungry actually because the wait had been so long and they didn't allow us to go uh, to any of the shops. And I think because it was early hours of the morning, they were all closed anyway. So we kind of were just waiting and waiting at the airport. And by the time we got to the village, we were all starving. So (laughs) first stop was the dining hall. Yeah, which is awesome. Before you went to try out the famous beds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, before we crashed onto our cardboard beds. (laughs) It's so funny how they blew up in the media. Everybody seems to know about the about beds in the Olympics, yeah. yeah. And and it wasn't long before that at the Rugby World Cup when your dad and, mm. and some of our friends were there and they slept in cupboards, yes. as they, they described <laughs> it. So funny, yeah. I think um, in terms of the the way they set the village out, it seemed to be a, there was a huge emphasis on environmentally friendly recyclable you know uh, coca-cola is one of their partners the olympic partners so their goal which they had written everywhere was to recycle 100 percent of all the plastic bottles that you know Mm. were consumed during the olympics so they made huge effort to go green um but it yeah it was quite funny about the cardboard beds (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so and and some of the experiences at in the village. I mean, you then had obviously you had a, a long time till your event was going to happen. Yeah, so we actually had it was quite uh, quite nice because we arrived. We were one of the first teams to arrive. Okay. Um, and the pool wasn't actually open for the first two days that we were there. Oh. So we had some forced time out of the pool, but we didn't mind because we were so busy exploring the athletes' village. Um which is a massive sort of almost like a city actually with a huge apartment buildings and um, the dining hall and a gym and recreation centers and things. And we could kind of roam around without it being too busy on the first few days because not a lot of the teams had arrived yet. So that was a lot of fun. Um, They planned some awesome experiences for the athletes. Um, They had samsung a samsung uh, experience lounge they had obviously the merchandise shop and then they had a few sort of cultural displays so we could go in and learn more about japanese culture they also had a lot of japanese food options um they had casual dining which is a smaller version of the dining hall but mostly served japanese food um and yeah just just uh, 
an awesome experience and atmosphere seeing all the other athletes from other countries and other sports, which is always exciting when you go to a games. It's not just swimming yeah. or aquatics. Um, you know, athletes of every shape and size and you're guessing which sport they play. And um, yeah, it was it was really great. And I think those first two days were a lot of fun, just kind of exploring and getting our bearings of the village without the pressure of getting into the pool. Yeah. But by the third day, we were so excited to see the venue and see the pool that we actually were, yeah, we couldn't wait to get there. So it almost like built up the excitement quite nicely. Oh, that's cool. So, and did you see the 45-year-old skater from Southern? No, unfortunately, he arrived only after I got, <laughs> I left. So I, I saw the first two skaters. They were awesome. Um, unfortunately, they both got injured before they had to compete. Oh, dear. So... Um, the guy Brandon he actually fractured his wrist and he still competed with a fractured wrist which I thought was so brave um, but I didn't see the other skater unfortunately but you did see some other famous people I did yeah I saw Novak Djokovic I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure you've heard the story yeah, yeah. Uh, where we were we weren't going to the opening ceremony but we were dressed in our opening ceremony outfits which are these very um, bright animal print um, uh, jumpsuits from Mr. Price Sport and a matching mask. Obviously, you always have to wear a mask everywhere you go at the village. And uh, yeah, he actually took great interest in our outfits, which is the best story I probably have from the Olympics. It was awesome. And we managed to get a picture with him. Um, and I always joke that he took a picture with Tatiana and I should actually send it to him <laughs> and say, you know, here's your picture with the world record holder. <laughs> um, because he didn't get a medal. No, yeah. So, But I mean, he he was mobbed everywhere he yeah. went, actually. Um, on one occasion, we actually saw him sort of very politely just say, I'm sorry, guys, I really need to eat my food. You know, I'm here at the dining hall to to eat, you know, and I can't take photos with everyone, unfortunately. So he was polite about it, but I think he, he did get like quite bombarded yeah. <laughs> everywhere he went. <laughs> Shame. Yeah, that was an amazing uh, little story. And I guess it, it pays a bit of tribute to the the gear that you had or the, the, the clothes? Yeah, the kit. I thought the kit was great. Um, I know, obviously, in previous games, the South African kit is, has copped a lot of sort of flack for the wrong sizing and the colors. And I thought Mr. Price Sport did an amazing job. Um, and we also had Feltskin, which yes. I see you're a fan of. <laughs> I'm a fan of um, the Feltskin, especially the orange one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they suit you <laughs> yeah, because that's an interesting story it started the whole idea was planted with the Olympics and I think it was with uh, the Crocs and these guys saw yes. the South African team <laughs> wearing Crocs and said there must be a better no. must be a better uh, yeah. solution yeah. to that well I think it was great that you know this time around we had proudly South African brands yeah. that was so important um, you know previously we've had a lot of a lot of brands that have we've just imported from you know wherever and this time around it was great to have local designers designing our yeah. our kit and even us as Durbanites we are a little bit proud of Mr. Price <laughs> exactly <even. laughs> yeah it was really close to home for me so it's awesome to wear their gear yeah you had quite an interesting story because you had to um, 
model the, the gear before you left? Yes, I was actually, I was so excited. I was asked to be involved with the kit launch. Yes. So all the sort of the never been seen before samples, um, we we went to the ICC uh, center in, in Durban and they put on an awesome launch for, for the kit and for Mr. Price and Feltzgun and all the Olympic partners. And they actually set up a catwalk, which I was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, oh, yes, I'd love to be a part of it. And then arrived and saw this massive catwalk with spotlights and smoke machines and music. And suddenly was I was definitely rethinking my decision because <laughs> on land, I'm not probably not the best. But um, it was a lot of fun. I actually did it with two other swimmers that I'm close friends with. And I met some of the awesome athletes that then... Um, we're at Tokyo, so it was a great introduction to yes. meet some of the other athletes. And um, yeah, it was definitely out of my comfort zone, but it was a lot of fun. And it was also great to see the, to have the first look at the kit, you yeah. know, and kind of um, get to grips with the tracksuits and, and kind of see the athletics, what they were going to be wearing. Because obviously we don't get all of the kit. Um, so we would probably never have seen the athlete's kit in full if um, we only saw them walking around in the village. So it was really nice to see all the other sports and what they were going to be wearing and um, obviously have a go in the Feltskun and <laughs> it was really fun. And what was the story about uh, the guy from Mr. Price that lives in this road? Uh, the One of the um, logistics managers, yeah, that was an incredible story. So um, because of the looting, our kit was actually stuck in the warehouse um, at Mr. Price the, the week before we left. So it was delayed. We couldn't get access to it. They were telling us that we might just have to uh, collect it in Tokyo and they would send it ahead. And, um, you know, they couldn't get it out of the warehouse without putting the whole warehouse at, at risk. And so it was quite a serious situation. Um, and we were obviously kind of worried because... We didn't want to arrive in Tokyo with no kits and we felt like it was very disorientating because you feel like you have nothing to pack. So then it feels like you're not even going. I don't know. It was just such a strange buildup. But eventually they managed to uh, release the kit kind of in secret and someone snuck into the warehouse, only got our boxes, came out and then they sent a message on our Olympic group and they said, okay, we've managed to get your t your kit. Please pick it up at this address in Douglas Road, which is actually the house that I grew up in <laughs> and lived in, in for 20 years. My family has been there, you know, since I was born, we've been in that house. Um, and we moved out in 2017. And obviously this Mr. Price manager um, was the new owner of Summerdown, um, which holds so many incredible memories for me and was so special to go and collect my Olympic kit at that house and it was just so surreal um, my sister actually came with me and then they invited us in and it was just so incredible to be back there you know we haven't been back since we moved out which was a very hard move it was difficult to sell that house and say goodbye and they've been looking after it so beautifully that we just yeah we were it was thrilling to be back and um, and to collect my kit I kind of felt like that memory is now attached to that house as well. So it was very special. Definitely something I'll remember forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful story. I mean, you've been to quite a few of these international events, obviously not the Olympics, mm. but now this thing is delayed and it's different. 
because there's no people. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a blow. Um, I was actually living and training in Dubai for for about a year and a half or two years, um, preparing for what I thought was going to be the 2020 Olympics in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when COVID started um, coming onto everybody's radar in the early stages of 2020, I was still in Dubai, but I was planning to come back in April to South Africa for Olympic trials. Um, and when they started talking about closing the borders and maybe closing some flight routes, I decided to actually come back a little bit earlier and finish my preparation in South Africa because I was so worried that the borders were going to close and I would be stuck on the wrong side and not able to get back for Olympic trials. So I flew in the middle of March, um, actually straight to Stellenbosch, and I finished up my preparation there. And by the time I got back to Durban, because we, you know, we were supposed to race at Kings Park, um, I got back to Durban and about four days later, the entire country went into lockdown. And I remember sitting in the lounge and watching our president announce that this was actually happening and we were going into what was then a three week, 21 day lockdown, <laughs> which was the longest three weeks of, you know, of all time in the end. But I remember sitting there and thinking, okay, if you can't have gatherings of more than a hundred people or 50 people, um, then we're just going to have to race one heat at a time because you have two timekeepers per lane and you have the judges. There are going to be no coaches. And I remember actually verbalizing this and saying to my dad, you know, it's fine. They're just going to do one heat at a time. Then we're all going to have to leave. And then they're going to have the next heat. And he, I remember him looking at me <laughs> and not saying anything. And I was just looking at him saying, that's how they're going to do it. That's, that's the only way. And he kind of sort of slowly said, Ems. I think you need to realize that it's not going to go ahead. And for me, that was like, no, that's impossible. Like, yeah. that's, it has to Nothing go ahead. Nothing can stop the Olympics. Yeah, that has to go ahead. We have to just make a plan. Because it was also stressful that a lot of the other countries hadn't yet got into lockdown. So in my mind, it was like, well, they're all going to have their trials. We have to make a plan. <laughs> you know, How are we going to do it? We're going to have to do it one heat at a time. So everyone was on very different playing fields. And, and, you know, with social media, you can kind of have a window into what's happening in the other countries. And some of the other athletes were training. Some of the ath other athletes were on full lockdown already. Um, and they didn't announce that the Olympics were postponed for about two weeks. So, I mean, two weeks of, of sitting at home in the lockdown thinking, oh my gosh, the Olympics as of now are still going ahead. You know, in my mind, that was happening. In my dad's mind, he, he already <laughs> knew there's no way. Um, so that was a very stressful time. And um, when they did eventually announce that the Olympics are going to be postponed, it was almost a relief because, you know, I was in contact with a lot of South African athletes and we were all kind of just spinning. Like, do we train? We can't get to a pool. Some of the other countries are training. You know, are we going to have trials? Are they going to move trials? So it was, there were so many unanswered questions. And obviously that's just in the realm of sport in terms of like everyone's personal lives. Yeah. If we were all just all over the place. Um, 
so yeah by the time they did actually announce that the the olympics were postponed it was kind of like you could breathe a sigh of relief and kind of <laughs> join everyone else on the couch um but trying to stay motivated and kind of focused was impossible at that time it was just there was just so much uncertainty um and even you know even this year leading up to the olympics every time there was a flare-up it was kind of like slip back into like oh my gosh is the olympics going to be cancelled is going to be postponed um so it was kind of like a constant nagging worry that it might not go ahead at all Yeah. yeah and where did you end up training then um, so I was stuck in South Africa because the borders all closed um, for over three months and I didn't manage to get back into a pool that entire time um, besides my dad's three meter long <laughs> home pool <laughs> on attached to a bungee cord. Um, and I eventually was repatriated to Dubai because I still had a residency visa and Troy, my husband, was there. Um, so we were apart for over three months, which was actually was just really difficult altogether. Besides the swimming thing, that yeah. was kind of my biggest concern. Um, and eventually when I got back to Dubai, uh, I managed to get back into the pool because Dubai managed COVID very well. And they managed to reopen a lot of their facilities a lot earlier than South Africa. So when I got back, um, I started training very slowly again because for a swimmer, three months out of the pool is the longest break we'd ever take. Um, usually it's maximum two weeks in a year. So three months was really, really long. Um, but it's actually been such an interesting result in that everybody's been swimming a lot faster. So, you know, it kind of makes you think maybe rest isn't the worst thing yeah. in the world and maybe we've been doing it wrong all this time. <laughs> yeah. And and at the Olympics without any spectators? Yeah, so that was very strange. I must say when I first walked into the pool and saw the facilities and how beautiful they were, I was just I was actually blown away. But I think the second thing that I thought was, wow, it's so sad that all of these seats are going to be empty. Yeah. Because our stadium was meant to hold 20,000 people. And, you know, it reached, those seats reached right up to the rafters. They were just, it would have been packed. And to swim basically in front of just swimmers and media, um, you know, it was just so strange. It, I mean, I think for South Africans, we maybe are a little bit more used to it because swimmers are not, you know, it's not a huge spectator sport in South Africa, unfortunately. Um, but I think for some of the other countries, it was very strange to not have a huge crowd cheering you on. And I think it also depends on the athlete that you are. If you find that a huge crowd puts a lot of pressure on you, then maybe you would perform better. Um, but if you are an athlete who thrives on the you know, the dynamic and the energy in the building when there's a huge crowd, then maybe, you know, it could have had a negative implication. Hmm. Um, Certainly the high jumpers were trying to get the <laughs> I crowd did to see clap. that, yeah. Oh, I think the athletics, it was really tough, yeah. you know, at least for swimming. Um, if you're not competing on that day, you'd still be there to cheer on your teammates. Some of the other venues were just completely dead, especially the team sports, because obviously... 
you know, you're there as a team, you're either on the field or you're on the bench. And there are only two countries playing at one time. So there's only the media for the, for the two countries. So the stands are completely empty. No one's in the stands. Mm. Whereas at swimming, you have all of the nations, their media, and then obviously the swimmers who aren't competing on that day, cheering on their teammates. So mm. I think we did, did have one of the best atmospheres. But, you know, it was only like a tenth of what, <laughs> what it could be. <laughs> so I saw there was one particular cheerleader at the summer. <laughs> Somebody was always there with a clipboard and the always biggest... Always there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely took on my role of cheerleader and took it to heart. <laughs> my self-designated head cheerleader. Um, no, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed it. I must say that's one thing that I lo absolutely love about international competitions is actually cheering on my teammates. Um, I think I get more nervous for their races than I do for my own. Um, but I was only racing on the last day, so it was kind of my mission to just be there with my flag, <laughs> my <laughs> South African flag in the stands. Um, and yeah, I have received quite a few comments that I think I was probably the most frequent on TV yes. because I was the only flag waving, you know. Um, but yeah, it was very special to be there and to cheer everybody on. And um, it was very sweet that my teammate kind of reciprocated that on the last day. I was the last South African to race. Um, so they all came to watch my semi-final and that was really awesome to have the team, you know, cheering Pay for back. me yeah. as I was cheering for them. It was very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. And then, I mean, we, we were privileged enough to watch, watch your races with your family. Yeah, it was wonderful. That's so awesome. But tell us about that race because again, it was a personal best and there weren't many of those at the Olympics. Yeah. So my it was definitely the most nervous I've ever been for a race um it was quite an interesting format at the Olympics usually we race heats in the morning and then if you progress to semi-finals or finals you race in the evening but because of the time zones um and I think mostly for American TV they changed it around so that you raced heats in the evening and then if you progress you race the next morning which is quite an, it was quite a weird setup. And I think we were all very disorientated. We would walk out of um, a final session thinking, okay, it's nighttime now. And it was actually lunchtime, uh. you know, because it was in the morning. So it was very strange. Um, but it also meant that you wait the entire day to race your heat. So from, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning, you like wake up with wide eyes thinking, oh my gosh, today's race day. <laughs> and the whole day, um, I was really excited actually. I just, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face to be honest. <laughs> it was just, and it's quite funny because you have a mask on. So everyone's wondering why you, <laughs> why you have these smiley eyes. Um, but yeah, everywhere I was going, I was just like in awe that I was going to be swimming at the Olympics that evening. Um, and it was quite a momentous day because Tatiana broke the world record that morning and Kayleen finished fifth in the same final. Mm. So to have two South African girls just absolutely killing it in that morning was so inspiring. Um, but everyone was on such an emotional high. I mean, we were, all the girls were crying when, you know, when our girls did so well. We were all so proud. Then we obviously had the, the medal ceremony, so we were belting out our national anthem. <laughs> so our South African pride was at an all-time high. And I think I just carried that through to the evening. Um, 
yeah, but it was awesome because I was I was in lane eight, um, which is one of the outside lanes, and I was in one of the top seeded heats. So I was racing girls that I've been looking up to for years, and it was such an honor and it was so exciting. Um, and yeah, the race went better than I could have imagined. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to to tie second yes. in my heat. Um, with Simone Manuel, who's actually the, the Olympic champion um, from Rio in the 100-meter freestyle. And it, it's, so, it's so funny because, you know, we've never chatted or kind of even been in, in contact, but I've watched her, you know, for all these years. And um, at World Champs, I actually, we were in, I think, a similar heat. And I looked on the program and we're born on the exact same day in 1996 no. the, to the day so to have come tie with basically my birthday twin <laughs> <laughs> was just like so surreal um and yeah again i just wish i could have seen my family and i was so happy that you know there were some videos of their reactions and i thought it was so awesome that you know everyone was together um so yeah and then to have some of my teammates cheering for me in the stands was awesome um, I was always the last one to leave the pool because I would touch the wall and then I would just be in awe of, you know, the moment where I was, the, the, just the grand scale of everything and, and also the swimmers that I was competing against, you know, in the heat, I was in the same heat as Emma McKeon and she broke the Olympic record. Mm. So it was just the fastest 50 meter freestyle swim that's ever taken place at the Olympics. And I managed to touch second behind yeah. that. You know, it was just incredible. So um, I think what's also been really exciting is the fact that um, because I I managed to touch second in that heat, my name came up on the screen with the South African flag. Yeah. And so for South Africans everywhere, they were just so excited, you know, and they kind of shared in my excitement with me. And um, it also just kind of, got everybody excited for my semi-final so I tried <laughs> very hard to <laughs> keep my emotions in check because that was the other tricky thing if you swim the heat in the morning you then have to go to sleep yeah. and then swim your semi-final the next morning and you know I, I barely slept to be honest <laughs> I think I maybe slept for four hours um, just because the excitement is so high but yeah it was awesome to be in a heat with you know girls that I've I really have looked up to and followed their journeys on social media mm. and kind of been a huge fan of and um to be in the in the waiting room getting ready to race and look around and think like wow like I'm right here with all of them it's it was very special yeah, yeah. and then you 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 broke the South African record in the semi-finals again yeah and just narrowly just missing <laughs> just out on that African record <laughs> Yeah, so I was um, I was really hoping to to be able to swim fast enough to break the African record. Um, it's definitely still a goal of mine, so I'll still be hunting down that. It it actually belongs to um, an amazing swimmer from Egypt yeah. that I've raced before at African Games. Um, but I'd love to get it back on South African <laughs> soil, <laughs> so that'll definitely be a goal of mine going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And when when how do you get the opportunity to to break that record? Well, we'll have another long course competition come December. So basically in our summer months we race long course, which is 50 meters and then now because it's winter, uh everything kind of shifts more short course, so just 25 meter. Okay. Pool, yeah. 
so I'll have to wait a little while <laughs> unfortunately yeah and now that you are at that level I mean have you have you felt that people have started note taking note of you <laughs> I mean on social media people must have yeah so um, all of a sudden you're, think you're an inspiration <laughs> and an influencer <laughs> I think actually my uh, people started taking notice kind of by accident because of my cheerleading skills. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I actually posted um, a really emotional video actually of all of us cheering for Tatiana and Kayleen. Yeah. And I managed to capture Tatiana's reaction as she broke the world record. Which was unbelievable. It was just, and it was so special because, you know, we were saying there were so many dull reactions. I mean, if I can put it that way, where people did amazing swims and there was just no emotion. You mm. know, they touched the wall, the camera's right on their face. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's why, because they know the camera's right there, but there was no smile. There was just kind of, it was just felt a bit bland. So to see Tatiana and how excited she was and the emotion behind it, because that's, I think one of the joys of sport, mm. seeing the emotion, that's the biggest thing for me. So to see her excitement, to see Kayleen swimming over to her, the two Americans congratulating her, you know, I think it's a moment that's going to go down in history. Yeah. And it's actually been earmarked as one of the most amazing moments of the whole games. So to see it live um, was awesome. And to capture the behind the scenes of the team cheering for her, I think so many people is from South Africa and I mean worldwide once they saw this video it kind of went viral I mean I think it's gotten almost 300,000 wow. views just on Instagram and it's also been shared I think over 1,500 times on Facebook and just so many South Africans saying thank you for sharing this you know it's so awesome to see that you were also excited um, so it was really great um, and that's kind of took off and then I raced that evening so it was just <laughs> it kind of snowballed yeah. yeah and um I've had some really beautiful messages that have come through and also to see people who I've maybe like been friends with from childhood and kind of lost contact with yeah. and now they're scattered all around the world and they're sending me photos of them watching in America and you know like in Dubai uh, we made friends with quite a few pilots. Some of them were on their stopovers. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was actually just mind-blowing the number of people who were so invested and took such an amazing interest in, like, my swim and the sport because they, I think they know the journey. Um, and, yeah, it was it was really special to to be back home in South Africa to see how they welcomed us back at the airport Um and even now, you know, going out, I've bumped into a few people in the shops and some of them have recognized me and it's just been surreal, actually, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I also, I think, um, especially on pool deck, because we're all wearing masks and I also have dark hair, quite a few people thought I was Tatiana. <laughs> so I got some, you know, some congratulations and well done and... Uh, I wasn't actually sure if it was for my swim or if they just thought I was Tatiana. So that was quite funny as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's it's a big inspiration and I'm so excited about the the ladies swimming because 
I think the last time anything happened was around <laughs> the 2000s, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's always been the, the boys, the, the, the glory boys. For sure, yeah. I think we have some great girls coming through. And, you know, from 2016 where we had no women in the pool um, for swimming for South Africa, um, to now have such a great group even just outside of the pool, you know, never mind the amazing swims that they produced inside the pool. I think it is inspirational to see um, their journeys, to follow their journeys, also to to see how um, we kind of can all cheer each other on. And there isn't a huge competitive spirit. It's kind of just like collaborative, which I think is awesome. Um, and I've been super inspired by them. And they definitely made my Olympic Games journey and the whole experience so much more you know than it ever could have been uh so it was great to have a huge you know a really huge love for the for the girls that were there um and we all get on and we laugh and we joke around and um yeah it just brings so much so much more excitement to the sport than if we were all just doing it alone so yeah well, thanks, Emma. You're an inspiration to a lot of people out there. And <laughs> Thank you. I'm very excited that you could come and join us today. And yeah. where can people follow you? On the, on the, you've got some social media channels. Yes, I'm on Instagram at mchelius. And I've also started a Facebook page. It's called Emma Chilius Swimmer. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, that was Emma Chilius Swimmer and South African record holder and... Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks, Emma. Cheers.